listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, Sean Moriarty, and Roxy Noberry. <laughs> this is the greatest weekend of my life so far because this movie is just the greatest thing that's happened to me since, I don't know, Christmas. Oh, What God. movie? Spider-Man 2! It's the oh. greatest thing that happened to you since Christmas. So okay, so let's really? do it. Before we get into this... Let's do a quick pulse check. Uh-huh. So we all saw it. Yes. Okay. So. Wait, the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Thank yes. You. Yes, not Spider-Man Two from two thousand four. Yes. Good Corner distinction. And I, I I kill myself for not mentioning. Honestly, that, but, everybody's yeah. referring to it as Spider-Man Two, even though it's the Amazing Spider-Man. It's 2. the second coming of Spider-Man Two. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's been reborn. It's the technically the fifth Spider-Man movie, but really not. It's yeah. a reboot. So, Sean, what was your take on it? First of all, are you saying that this coming of Spider-Man is where he has come to judge the living and the dead? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like that's Jesus. what. That's what was said. Spider that's what Jesus. I heard. Spider Jesus. Spider Jesus. Yes, where the holes in his hands have been replaced with web shooters. Spider Christ. Yes. Spider he Christ. Will, <laughs> he will judge the living and the dead, and his web slinging will know no end. <laughs> so, um, so my initial reaction when I saw the movie, I was so blown away. By the special effects and the fighting, I honestly yeah. believe that that was the best like translation of comic book action into a movie that I've ever seen. It even far surpassed the Avengers Definitely. in that respect. But when I first saw it, I was like, oh my... I texted all you guys. I was like, oh my god, this ties the Dark Knight for best superhero movie ever. And the <laughs> Avengers? Fuck the Avengers. Any of those movies are bullshit. And then after processing it for a couple days, I was like, I need to just step back and not react so quickly. Because in no way is it anywhere near the Dark Knight with regards to story or acting. Even though I thought that Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone's performances and in the way they, they portrayed the romantic side of that movie was the best I've seen in a superhero movie. I, I really felt invested totally in the relationship. So I agree with you, Sean, on the sense that the action and the um, special effects and the relationship that was portrayed were all done really well. As far as comparing it to The Dark Knight goes, I had to think about that as well. I had to think about what is he kind of meaning when he's referring to The Dark Knight? And you're talking about like the quality of the film or the impact that it had on audiences. And I think my initial reaction to Spider-Man, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, was intense and was just overwhelmed because I cried a lot. I mean, I yeah. just immediately connected to the characters. The chemistry between Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield is palpable. It's definitely brilliant. So, yeah. but then a few days later, I had to think about it in the sense of, am I still feeling that way? Now that I can take a step back and look at the film overall, do I feel as impacted by it as I was a few days after seeing The Dark Knight? And I don't think so. I think for the Spider-Man anthology, the films, this was probably the best one. Oh, yeah. But as far as a superhero movie goes, in my opinion, yeah, not not up there with The Dark Knight. I think The Dark Knight still holds supreme. So, yeah. You know, I totally agree with you. God, Andrew Garfield is so goddamn good as Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. He just, he just, and to be fair, he's also said in interviews, this is the, the character he's wanted his whole life to play. Awesome. Like he, he is the first guy to be a hardcore Spider-Man fan to play the part right away. Because Tobey Maguire wasn't a big yeah. fan. He had known about the character beforehand. And... I mean, the chemistry with Emma Stone is fantastic. I mean, it also helps that they're dating in real life, hey. too, and it shows. <laughs> I think, to give it perspective, I feel like Amazing Spider-Man 2 is the Dark Knight of that series. Yeah. If, if Amazing Spider-Man 1 is the Batman Begins, this is definitely yes. Dark Knight in the sense of we've raised the stakes a hell of a lot. Mm-hmm. We've left uh, a kind of an uncertain ending mm-hmm. um, for the third act. Uh, definitely different notes, different tone, uh, because Spider-Man naturally is, I think, a lighter character, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think there were parts that were not great, um, but to me, the great parts made me able to forgive the not-so-great parts. I agree. Yes. Yeah. I agree with yeah. that, too. Sarah? The, uh, okay, so I am coming at this movie from a different perspective from you guys, because I actually never saw the first Spider-Man oh. movie. Oh. The, the, first, the, amazing, the, the first Amazing Spider-Man. Okay. okay. Yeah. And... So I'm coming off of this as like this is my first taste of Spider-Man since Tobey Maguire's disaster. So, mm-hmm. um, and <laughs> since I did, the John Travolta Spider-Man since since halfway through Spider-Man two. Oh. That's as far as I got in Spider-Man two because I was like, wow. Good thing you didn't click. see Spider-Man three. No, Jeez. I didn't want to. I was like, I just it's too cheesy to me. And Save also, I was never that into Spider-Man like 
lore. Okay. So I was I didn't really watch the cartoon series mm-hmm. that much. I watched it a little bit, but mm-hmm. not nearly as dedicated as I was to like X Men the animated series. Oh, sure. And sure, I think sure. it's just because thematically. X-Men's a little bit more of, like, grand social justice, and Spider-Man's a little too much about puberty for me, so, like, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, so I think that's just something there that I I have a hard time relating to. Mm -hmm. That being said, I definitely enjoyed this movie. I love, I loved that they captured the Spider-Man snarkiness that was totally not present in the the Tobey Maguire ones, you know? Tobey Maguire's and, a dork. <laughs> yeah, and, like, yes, the the chemistry, again, between Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy is palpable. You can practically smell the pheromones off of them, right? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And so I thought, like, all of the acting and stuff and the personal relationships were extremely compelling. Mm-hmm. I do feel like there were some things that felt a little forced. I felt, not to say anything about Sally Field's performance, but I felt like kind of the little plot line with... Aunt May was not... Yeah. I felt that felt forced and kind of squeezed in there. Yeah. Um, Jamie Foxx. I, oh. Jamie Foxx was... He overdid it for me. It was okay. Mm. I, You know, my... Actually, <laughs> the problem is, is, like, when he was, like, saying that his name was Electro or whatever, and I was like, do you mean Dr. Dubstep? Because every single time anything happened, I just heard Dubstep happen. I was like, what is yeah. going on? I thought that was clever that they were able to change the score and that he has this very, like psychotic internal monologue that gets yeah. translated mm-hmm. into dubstep. Um, that being said, I also like Garfield's chemistry with Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan, yeah. Dane DeHaan. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the electronic music things with, with Electro. I actually thought that that was one of the best parts of the entire sound mixing of the movie. Nice. At first, I was like, wait, a, what is this? And then the more I listened to the way he was talking, it, it actually really made the movie for me in certain parts. I think Jamie Foxx, tur- as soon as he turned blue and into electricity, was awesome. But the whole beginning with him and then yeah. when he's in his uh, apartment and he's looking at the Spider-Man photo and him in the mirror and like talking to Spider-Man because he's obsessed, I was like, oh, did Jamie Foxx, right before he did this movie, just watch Batman Forever and be like, I'm going to be Jim Carrey in the beginning of Batman Forever. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> exactly. They, they went in living color with it, right? Mm. They, they had a telepathic connection. And they, uh, <laughs> it's like, he's like, Jim, how do I do this? So just do what I did in Batman. It'll be fine. God. Um, I actually, honestly... Thinking of the overall arching story movie, the movie actually didn't need Electro in it nah, at all. It was more about Green Goblin. Yeah, if you focused more on, exactly, on the character drama and Dane DeHaan mm. becoming the Green Goblin, mm-hmm. which I think is no surprise at this point. I think everyone knows that that happens. Well, if you know anything about how Spider-Man, the overall story works, then you yeah. knew, that, like, I knew that yeah. going in. Sure, sure, I felt sure. like the Green Goblin was rushed. Yeah. And it was not featured as much as it could have been. Yeah. But, I mean, I also realized that they're going to probably set him up for the next movie where he'll be a much more dominant. Yeah. They're talking about the hashtag Osborne Army. And you see that at the end of the film, he's talking a lot. You know, they're getting people out of that. Sinister Six, yeah. 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 Yep. Sinister Six. Oh, my God. Well, I think um, with Electro, I... What ended up happening was... It was interesting because, yes, I totally got the Ed Nigma thing happening in the beginning. But then I also got... Afterwards, after he turned, and then he just became not to. Hmm, I don't want to spoil anything. Well, he you people when, see it in the preview though. Sure, sure, but when it electro. when he turns and becomes electro, it turns a little bit more into a slightly smarter version of Bane in the early Batman movies. Mm. So, like, in the sense that he just doesn't have any. Anything for himself as much, I feel like. Yeah. Mm. He's a little bit more eloquent, but (laughs) than just bang. Sure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What I was really worried about is I thought that Paul Giamatti was going to be just like, how are they going to fit the rhino into this? Because they set him up in the first scene of the movie. Yeah. And really. Is that spoiling anything? I don't want, I want, I mean, you don't see much of him in the movie at all. No, exactly. Just tell people that if you're expecting a bunch of rhino, don't. Yeah. But you'll appreciate how he is featured. I liked how he was featured. When I saw him in the beginning, I was like, oh, that's Paul Giamatti. And (laughs) I just figured because Paul Giamatti is such a huge actor and such a great actor Mm -hmm. that he was underutilized. The one moment that gave me tears other than the one plot point I don't want to spoil. cannot spoil But that. if you are a fan of Spider-Man comics, you know exactly what I'm talking yes. about. It's the reason, it's the thing we all saw coming yep. in this movie. I have um, a Marvel card of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's and it, <laughs> That moment is exactly the way it needs to be. It was respectful, but they also changed it slightly to they... make it more plausible, I think. 
I have a problem with that. Okay, well, maybe yeah. we'll win. maybe we'll come back to it in a couple weeks. No, we don't have, have to. It. I'm just going to say that I had a personal problem with it as a fan of the comics. But go ahead. Okay, fair enough. Um, but the other part that made me cry was the little kid. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. god! The little kid who, who puts on the spider mask. Oh my god! It made me cry so hard. Yeah, it. I get teared up just thinking about it. Just yeah. these little kids, like this guy is like 20 times bigger than me, but yeah. I don't care. You guys are gonna love it when you see it, and if you've yeah. already seen it, you know exactly how we're feeling. And yeah. That's all we're gonna oh say about god. that. Oh my god! That was one of the greatest <laughs> moments in superhero movie history. And mm-hmm. while I was watching it, I was thinking, these writers are brilliant. Yeah. I know that one day one of the writers was like. Oh my God! I have something that is just gonna blow people away. <laughs> that's never been done in a superhero movie before. You know, it's topical though because we had Bat Kid happening in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I think they definitely paid you know notice to that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I get I, the t- the only time that I really get choked up, but because mm-hmm. I. I'm a cold-hearted woman. I don't get really, <laughs> I don't get choked up during movies terribly often. But I always get like a little emotional whenever I see that Marvel logo come right before a movie. I'm just like warms your heart. It does. It does in the same way that the Disney logo does. Oh god. Or the sir. Pixar logo. That's like so those are the good. ones that you yeah. just sit there and you're just like I am in for something good. That's yeah. such a I am in for point. a treat. <laughs> and adversely when you see the DC logo and you're like if this isn't Batman, I'm remaining extremely skeptical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, like Batman seems be the only thing DC can do right mm. at this point. Hey, um, the Green Lantern was awesome. Nope. Cricket. No, I'm just Cricket. kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cricket. Um, Cricket. No, 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 no. I want to say one more thing, which is that Andrew Garfield was so meant to play Spider-Man because of how he, just the relationships he plays with everybody in that film, but so much so that I think it breaks into reality because I was just reading uh, recently that uh, he took a whole group of underprivileged kids and they rode a school bus to go to a private premiere of the movie. Yeah. And this is just one of the examples. I don't know the specifics, but I've also heard of him going to a a kid's birthday party as Spider-Man. Awesome. Because the kid wanted Spider-Man at his party. Wow. And, like, got to go and hang out with him. So it just... He went to Comic-Con dressed as Spider-Man and no one knew who he was until he came on stage and then took yeah. his mask off. <laughs> he was like, hi, guys. Did you, uh, did you see him host SNL last night? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, no, did he? He did, and there's they got Emma Stone to come in for one scene <gasps> because they're they're jokingly doing the Spider-Man 2 kiss, <laughs> and they the whole gag is that they can't get it right. So, like, they're doing the whole moment uh, when they're on top of the bridge and everything, yeah. and... <laughs> they do some of the most awkward kissing <laughs> that I've ever seen. Like, like it's all like straight acting romantic moment and then when they start kissing it's just like they close their eyes and they just start like licking each other oh, God. <laughs> they're not even like trying to make eye their, their lips aren't even so making funny. contact they're just like licking each other's mouths uh, like tongue yeah can i can i say something for um people's sake though even though this is a marvel movie um this is kind of something that's i'm not ruining anything for anyone but there is no post-credit scene it's and true. I well, think that is specific to yeah. Avengers and Avengers Universe lore. To, to the Marvel Studios properties. I actually have a recommendation yeah. about that. If you guys are interested ever in knowing if there's a post credit scene or anything that you need to hang out for ahead of time, I really recommend this app called the Run P app. Mm. Basically, you look at it and it kind of will tell you like the moments in a really long movie, like when this is an appropriate move, moment to get up and go to the bathroom. Wow. Oh. And it'll so do you like hit a button when the movie starts? No, you just just look at it ahead of time oh okay. and it just says like okay so after this line you can get up and go nice and then nice. and like you're not going to miss anything super major okay. um and it'll also tell you if there's any post-credit scene and other stuff so it's a really really cool app if you, you guys should that. check it out yeah thanks sarah yeah that sounds awesome mm-hmm. and on that note ladies and gentlemen welcome to nerds on film i'm brian moriarty i'm sarah ashley i'm roxy noberry and i'm sean moriarty well folks we are on Marvel Movie Watch at yeah. this point, right? Yes. And also Star Wars Movie Watch because they've oh got my the, god, yeah, because oh they officially been... announced it. Can I just say, Adam and Adam Driver's in freaking everything now. He's, he's talented though. He is talented. Yeah. He, like even the dumb scenes in like Lincoln. He's in like the one scene in Lincoln. He mm-hmm. was really good in it. Mm-hmm. The one scene that I saw him in in Inside Lewin Davis yeah. was really freaking good. And I'm just like I'm so impressed. I'm like this girls. guy's been popping up out of nowhere he's for great. like the past five years. He's, he's been like just yeah. He's the star of Girls now. Everyone yeah. loves him on Girls. Well, I stopped watching the show because Lena Dun- Dunham was annoying the crap out really? of me. Uh, but I liked their I liked their really weird idea don't understand you guys relationship mm-hmm. it was he's just really good i'm a big yeah. fan of the show and it has evolved to kind of center on him and his reactivity to interesting Lena's character interesting and i think that's a very powerful part of their chemistry okay so. yeah can i say something about lena dunham sure. sure 
I understand what she represents and what has been built around her and what she represents for female actresses and everything. But in general, I am unimpressed with almost all of her performances. And on Saturday Night Live, I wanted to open my wrist in a warm tub of salt water. Wow. (laughs) That's a bit harsh, don't you think? Were you just I, this, this who I about am. it? I say fucked up shit. I think she's. I think she's just appealing to a very specific generation. Yeah, and a very specific genre, a very yeah. specific group and subculture. And yeah. and there was a lot that I appreciated from the first couple. Se- what seasons are they? They're, They're on season four. Yeah. Right They're on season now. four. So like, I stopped watching at the beginning of the season because I was just like, I can't. I couldn't handle their problems. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, it gets it gets to be a little excessive. It, well, it's one of those things where I'm like, I am not in the same mind space mm. as I was four years ago, which is where all of you guys are. So I'm gonna yeah. be traversing on now. Thank you. <laughs> you no, know, see, Lena's character is the same age as me right now. So anything okay. that she's kind of like stuff that she does. I immediately feel triggered by. Okay. 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 <gasps> like, oh my god! I would have done the same thing. Shit. <laughs> yeah. That, that. Hey, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Right? Going back. So to, speaking of Lewin Davis. Yeah. Yeah. yeah speaking of Lewin Davis. Well, you know, you have guess Adam Driver. Segway. Right? I do. I do. I do want to. I do. Before we get there, I do want to say, Hey, may the fourth be with you. Yeah. May the fourth. Because it is today. It actually is Star Wars Day when we were recording. I'm, I'm wearing my Star Wars. Oh, I've shirt. been working on my Obi Wan voice. Go ahead. You guys want to hear it? Yes. I'm trying to get it to separate from my John Lennon voice, and it's very tough. Okay. May the fourth be with you. Ooh. That's pretty good. The fourth will always be with you. Yeah. And then I was also a member of the Beatles. (laughs) (laughs) I I wrote most of the good songs for the Beatles. Uh, awesome. Lucas was seduced by the dark side of the force. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, because he's abandoning the EU. But <laughs> can I talk about what I did today for me for Star Wars? Of Day? course. So um, my girlfriends and I were all big kind of you know nerd girls. So we had a um, we watched uh, just a movie marathon. We watched Fanboys with Jay Baruchel nice. and uh, Kristen Bell, and then we watched Return of the Jedi because that's like our collectively favorite Star Wars movie Sweet. of the original trilogy. One. And then we watched the Robot Chicken Star Wars. Nice. Special. Yes. Right nice. On. That's great. Yeah. I'm totally so I'm totally going home and probably just going to go through as many special features as I can yeah. on the Star Wars Blu-ray set that I have nice. and just do all of that. But I'm I'm definitely repping my my what Star Wars shirt. It's Han and Leia kissing and at the top it says I know. Oh, that's amazing. I'm going to spend the rest of my night alone in my room practicing lightsaber kata. <laughs> Awesome. So how is that different from every other I know, I'm like, that sounds like a typical Sunday night for Brian. <laughs> Just another night in paradise. Myself. I'm having um, flashbacks of when I finally got a Darth Maul double-sided lightsaber toy and you had the Obi-Wan one. I had the, I had I the Qui-Gon like, Let's go one. in the backyard and let's pretend to play with each other. And then I just beat, beat the, the shit, shit out of you. <laughs> it's true. You totally and did. we were like 15 and 13 too. Yeah. It was totally inappropriate. It was exactly. It was, we were well past that. Uh, you guys own. are brothers. You're never past that. Even with my big brother, sometimes we'll still find a reason to no, like No, I mean about the lightsaber other. thing. Not about, oh, the, not about, not the, about the hitting each other thing? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the lights, everything. No, they um, graduated. I but, still, you still cannot trust me around my brother with a wrapping paper tube. Like yeah. you just can't. And what better way to celebrate May the Fourth than to talk about the Cohen brothers? Yeah. <laughs> <Segway>. <laughs> well, Adam Driver was the link there. there Adam Driver go. was the link. We got a little I, bit of a link. I tried it. Yeah, we tried it. We have a little bit of a segue. Yeah. We could talk about Star Wars, but I think the Cohen brothers. We've already done a Star Wars. If episode. the Cohen brothers did a Star Wars movie, that would be the most. That would probably be the most amazing Star Wars movie ever. It would be so weird. (laughs) Starring Josh Brolin as Han Solo. (laughs) I just, like, I can't... John Goodman as Jabba the Hutt. (laughs) Francis McDormand as Leia. (laughs) I just imagine, like, a 20-minute long scene of, like, of, yes, Han Solo just walking across Tatooine, just like, quietly. (laughs) Smoking a cigarette. Yes, just quietly. Yeah. For 20 minutes. It's a long canning stuff. William and then H. finding Macy. Luke and then just having a completely reverent yeah. conversation. Yes. <laughs> well, you also have William H. Macy as Yoda. Oh, oh of course. Perfect. He's, got the, he's got the ears. Exactly. He's got the, it wouldn't need much makeup at all. Yeah. Exactly. Aww. Um, so why don't we talk about why we love the Coen brothers so much. And why we chose this as a topic. And why really? we chose this as a topic. Yeah. 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 So who wants I, to start? Well, I think for me it's... Thematically, mm-hmm. I always enjoy what's presented. Okay. Um, 
And you always know that when you're getting a Coen Brothers film, you're getting something that is edited and mixed so precisely yes. that it's just, it's practically visual perfection and auditory perfection. Mm. So it's always a, a delight for the senses, even if you're not entirely sure what's going on, which I will admit... Early on, when I was first getting into the Coen Brothers, I was like, I have no idea what the <laughs> yeah. fuck is happening right now. Because a lot of it does seem extremely irreverent or kind of discombobulated. And you're just like, yeah. I, what is happening? But then you... Well, how old were you when you started watching? Uh, well, the first thing I saw was The Big Lebowski. And uh, when did that come out? That came out like 98 or no, 96? 96. Okay, so I saw that one. I think, 98. I saw I that when I was in high school. Um, so that was the, that was the yeah. first thing that I saw by them. This is how, like, my parents were, because my dad would always have us, like, watch movies after they... After, he would always, like, if it was an R-rated movie, mm-hmm. up, up until when we were in high school, he would, like, well, we would watch it, and if it was okay, he'll show it to us. Mm-hmm. So we thought it was totally okay for us to watch The Big Lebowski when I was, like, 12, and he was, like... When Sean, Sean was, like, 14. <laughs> nice. Yeah. A 12-year-old doesn't get that movie. No, absolutely. <laughs> oh, my doesn't. God, though. He sent me to the theaters to see it, though. Yeah. That's I the, went and saw it after he saw it in the theater. And that's just the thing that I'm grateful for it because, you know, we learned to have that kind of taste with movies. Now, I like, I'm attracted to seeing a Coen Brothers movie when Mm -hmm. it comes out. But, like, that movie, we'll have to talk about that in a little bit, but just, like, that movie totally plays to anybody who is in college forward. Oh, God, (laughs) yeah. Oh, God, yeah. And I think that it's, what, but what it is, it's, it's the overarching themes of the story that almost never come into play until towards the end. And then all of a sudden things just, they always fall into place beautifully. Yeah. <laughs> I love that style where it's... Well, I mean, and not to say, like, that doesn't really happen with Oh Brother, Why Art Thou? But, like, burn after reading, everything kind of fell into place at the end and, and like, just kind of comes together in a really nice way, I Did feel like. Fargo as well. Fargo was the epitome of that. Mm-hmm. So I think there's... I think that's what's really appealing to me is because it seems like they craft everything very specifically. Mm-hmm. I agree with that, Sarah. And I think also um, to speak on certain highlights of Coen Brothers films, such as the humor, mm-hmm. the com- the comedy that they have kind of cornered. They've made the market on comedic films in that you always know it's a Coen Brothers movie because of this type of sense of humor they use yeah. for their comedic films. I mean, they're not... I, I always associate smart humor with Coen Brothers. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> what I love about yeah. the Coen Brothers is that Yes, absolutely. Every movie has a very uh, set theme, even if you can't catch it the first time you watch it. You know, I also love that they they basically go, here's what you think storytelling is about, mm-hmm. and we're going to go ahead and switch it to maybe a 45, maybe even a 36 degree angle, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of give you a totally different perspective on it, where it defies the conventional logic for, you know, plot breakdowns at times or character development, but it's still good. Yeah. And they do that through having freaking awesome characters yeah and i think that's what makes the humor play so well it's what makes all the gags work and part of what attracts me to coen brothers movies and and got me into them in the first place is they do tell stories in a very different way without having to and i love quentin tarantino but without having to do something as drastic as put everything out of order so deliberately they can still have a narrative that goes in sequence but still throws you curveballs. Mm. And like Sarah says, tying it all in at the end. And even the movies that people have said they didn't get or they didn't really like, I still feel like they all always say they admit that they, they had moments in the movie that they really enjoyed and that they they felt like they had a different experience. And the people that didn't like certain movies, like I've heard people say, I don't like No Country for Old Men, it didn't do it for me, or I didn't like Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But at the same time, they go... But I, I recognized that it was a really good movie, and, and, I, and it was like they were challenging themselves and going, I, I, I think there's something wrong with me, not something wrong with them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like there's just, well, and just something that was a missed connection, really. Yeah. When you go into No Country for Old Men, which, okay, we've said it before on the podcast, I have tried to watch that movie several times. <laughs> Snooze fest. <laughs> and I fall asleep. Did you, did you do it this time? Did you get I it? did not. I got all the way through Woo! it. I stayed awake. <laughs> it's, it's, 
it was amazing. I texted everybody. I put on tw- on Twitter. I was like, I have sugar. All the lights are on. I am sitting up straight. I'm gonna watch all this damn movie. I have filters, <laughs> crystals, instant coffee to snort in case I start to feel like I'm going down. No, I still have a lot of Easter candy left. So oh, nice. <laughs> That's I was gonna say because I hear snorting pop rocks is a really good solution. There we go. Uh, yeah. And it pops on the it's way also, down. It's also yeah. a really good way to go to the emergency room. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. In a Coen Brothers fashion, at the very end of this, I would like to tie in the Pop Rocks thread. Okay. <laughs> Save that for later. But so, yeah. but so with No Country for Old Men, like you go into it thinking, okay, who is the central character here? Mm. What is the point of this like weird trio? And is it just the good, the bad, and the ugly done in a different way over like this kind of crime noir? western thing that's happening like what is this and then you go through it and you realize holy shit this is a movie about aging and it's about tommy lee jones this has nothing to do with the other guys really but and so that's where it is is that's where they're playing with the storytelling granted it was an, uh, an adaptation from a cormac mccarthy book but still i think the way it was presented was just beautifully executed yeah definitely it's one of those things where like the order yeah is so important because it doesn't make sense until you get to the end. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, that's why I sat through this yeah. right. two hours. Right. Another thing I love about Coen Brothers movies is how much of an ensemble piece they always are. There's yeah. There's always yes. major always. names. There's always recurring actors that come through that love collaborating with mm-hmm. the Coen Brothers. I mean, speaking of Frances McDormand, she even married one of them. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. You yeah. know? Yeah. Like, Wouldn't you marry one of the Coen Brothers oh, after working with them? I'd be all over that. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, these are guys who... They've been making movies since they were kids. Mm. You know, they've been writing scripts and since they were kids. So they they are so damn good at what they do because they've had so much practice at it. It's just like, even when you look at a movie like Barton Fink. Oh. Barton Fink was, we have writer's block. We can't write the script. So let's, so let's write about writer's block. Exactly. Oh. So but, and, but how well they did that. And that movie does take a real what the fuck turn. Right. <laughs> with, with John Goodman at the end. Just like, but, but not just that. Like, I mean, really the major conflict doesn't happen until like over halfway through the movie. Yeah, nice. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you're yeah. just like, so whoa. They can take which is, I think, nothing. why it didn't do so well. It was so different, mm. and people aren't used to anything like that, especially in 1991. Yeah, no, Sean, I agree with you on that. It, it, it's interesting how they can take something that they're stuck with and create a narrative out of it, and people might not respond to it as well, but at least they were still cre- to, able to create something. And that just speaks to their talent, to be able to churn out a story out of something as simple as, oh, shit, we can't create something right now. Let's create something out of that anyway. That's just how ingenious they are. That's exactly. how like able they are to access that artistic yeah. quality to themselves. They trust their own talent enough to be mm. able to say, you know what, it's not working out. So let's go with it that it's not working out, and let's see where it takes us. You know, and yeah. uh, that kind of fearlessness is rare. I feel mm. like when it comes to that type of artistry. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So we've talked about why. Mm-hmm. What are the examples that we love about that? Those things i'm gonna talk about a movie that i think may not be one of all of your favorites of the coen brothers but of all the movies that i've seen of theirs of which i own almost every single one cool the one that stands out that i watch over and over and over again and still gets me every time is raising arizona oh my i knew you were. Gonna i am obsessed with raising arizona <laughs> hey hey may the fourth little yoda's and shit there you yeah. go another star wars day <laughs> there tie-in. you go there you go. Just from the moment that John Goodman and William Forsythe break <laughs> out of prison, and there's just the, oh! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is one of the best scenes in film history. <laughs> I would love to find out. And from that point on, I'm just completely sold. And Nicholas, that's one movie where I'm like, Nicholas Cage was flawless. Uh, <laughs> I would. Love that's that. his one flawless performance besides Leaving Las Vegas. I would love to find out that. Like Frank Darabont, when he wrote the ending to the Shawshank Redemption, is like, so what was it really, what really inspired you at that moment <laughs> with Andy Dufresne crawling out of the sewer? <laughs> Mostly it was that scene in Raising Arizona. Yeah, there you yeah. yeah. Reason. I think it would have been more effective if John Goodman had slammed his hand into the mud and grabbed Tim Robbins <laughs> by the leg and just held him up like, oh! <laughs> it was like, and then John Goodman's just done in the movie and that was it. He just walks away. <laughs> it would have worked. Nice. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's 
hilarious. So I'm sorry, I lost track. Who's talked already? Well, Sean, did you have anything else? You said Raising Arizona. Yeah, no, I was going to say Raising Arizona is the one that really sticks out in my mind. I've seen uh, Big Lebowski 100,000 times just because, you know, who hasn't? (laughs) Yeah. Of course, Sarah said this because a lot of people forget about Burn After Reading. That's also one of oh my, my favorites God. because there's so many moments in that movie where it's 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 slow, but it's still funny. Mm-hmm. And then moments that just jump out at you and you go, what the fuck? Yeah, right. <laughs> like the hatchet. Yeah, the, oh, the yeah. hatchet. Exactly. Okay, I was yeah. like, what the fuck? And when Brad Pitt in the closet, you're yes. like, what the fuck? Yes. Yeah. Brad Pitt, period. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. So this this one is probably because as I was going through this, I was like, wow, I have I have a favorite four of Coen Brother movies. <laughs> Shocking. And I know, right? Sarah not picking a favorite. Um, so, Inside Lewin Davis, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Burn After Reading. What was the other one I said? Fargo? No, not Fargo. Was it Barton Fink? I think it might be Barton Fink. Because well, okay. I really, really liked it. Anyway, um, and I liked A Simple Man, too. But yeah. anyway. It was a little too slow for me. But I think with Burn After Reading, this is a really good example of what I liked about it. The humor was approachable <laughs> and you got it but it was still smart i yeah. freaking died with george clooney's little like crazy sex toy concoction oh, yeah. <laughs> where it was like this rocking chair that would like when he hit it it's just like this big giant yeah. dildo coming dildo. up and you're like what the but hell the best part yeah because the way it was shot you can't see it until he kicks it right until he kicks yeah. it right and the best part is that you would think francis mcdormand would be mortified which is like Oh my That's god. Fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and I love that I loved Brad Pitt in this movie. Like he his hair. His hair was ridiculous. And just like how he would just sit there and just like kind of intently and like jockishly like stare <laughs> and then slurp on his drink and you're just like <laughs> And just start randomly dancing. And just too. start randomly dancing. I just loved yeah. his like energy that he had. And but the whole thing of the theme of this movie is it's about middle age crisis yeah i I actually thought it was about something totally different it was about sheer idiocy because if you think about it everybody in that movie is a fucking moron including john malkovich who while he is so angrily uh pissed off at Mm -hmm. all these stupid people he himself is a moron because a he can't fucking write his own autobiography right (laughs) even after saying he's gonna you know give this big expose about working in the cia Uh and two (laughs) Like just the ridiculousness of him, like the whole one is he's back and he's doing like the aerobics right. on, on, on his ship, is oh that we that God. just absurd right. humor is what I think that's the like the crown jewel of all of their uh, all of their films, no matter what it is. Well, and, and who's to say there's only one theme? Right. I do think midlife crisis is a huge role in it. Absolutely. It's definitely. It's definitely a recurring thread. Absolutely. So well, maybe and, it's, maybe it's both. Yeah. Well, and I, also I cheated. I've, I've seen the special features, and they've definitely cited that mid- okay. midlife crisis was what they were going for a lot there. Yeah. Um, but how good? But is you it? could say that the midlife crisis um, adds to the stupidity. Oh God, it, yeah. It, so a catalyst yeah. for the stupid actions of the characters. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Totally. And what I love about it is that. How many other films can you walk out of saying that you could take something different from it and say, well, this movie was about this or this movie was about this? Usually it's the cream of the crop. Yeah. Yeah. And I, but, but again, beautifully executed and hilarious and Mm -hmm. punchy and Mm -hmm. concise. Mm -hmm. It was a concise Mm -hmm. movie. Yeah. And there aren't extras. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. There's no Um, fluff. For me, I think also, God, Burn After Reading is so great. I'm actually a fan of the Lady Killers too. Oh yeah, but that that one was kind of weak. Yeah, I mean it. It was when they try to remake movies. I don't know how well they do because I mean they've done a couple of remakes. I, I never saw the original with Alec Guinness in it, mm. but I love Tom Hanks, Fair enough. and uh, I also like Marlon Wayans a lot too. And <sighs> those guys, I think, did a lot to push the movie together. It's one of those movies where the ending is just kind of like, huh. So maybe it's not their strongest movie, mm. but I think from a character point of view, I really enjoyed watching the different uh, personalities collide with one another mm-hmm. in that movie. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I have to agree with you on that kind of idea of how the, some of the that film would end with you feeling just kind of ambivalent or just very kind of almost confused as to where the direction of the film went, because I felt that way about um, Inside Lewin Davis. I felt that that film was really well done, but it felt me it left me feeling a little empty inside. I don't mm. know. I didn't. I felt pretty drained, to be honest with you. I you know I can out? I can definitely see that. Mm-hmm. But what I liked the most about the movie was the soundtrack. Oh well, yeah, of course. Because <laughs> well, I'm I'm totally into folk music, and I and I grew up on kind of like the '60s folk music too. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I really really dug that and. 
it was interesting because a lot of the people who went, like, they did receive a lot of criticism from people who went through that same 1960s folk scene that they were describing. Yeah. And they were like, you know, they took something that was really colorful and kind of turned it really brown. Yeah. And then, and, and there was, there was a lot more, it wasn't, it wasn't that peaceful. There was a lot more drama happening and everything. But I think taking it from the perspective that this was happening from the perspective of one guy and it, it's really, it's inside Lewin Davis. I think this is more of his perspective and his internal perspective. Sure, sure, sure. That's being, that's the filter that, that we're seeing this movie through. that speaks to how successfully they were able to communicate that. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. All right. That's my interpretation. Sure, sure. No, because that's exactly what it happened, what it came down to. The fact that Lewin Davis is so depressed Mm -hmm. and so, um, just pessimistic about everything going on with him right now and his own talents and his own relationships with his family Mm -hmm. that he's drifting through life expecting things to work out in a way that he knows that like it's just you know it's just not going to work out for him right and it's like you left the film pitying the guy and pitying the situation that he experienced and all the people that you know kind of just like screwed him over or the, the way that his family treated him yeah sure and that's probably the biggest reason as to why I just could not connect to the film. I thought it was brilliantly done, mm-hmm. but it was just hard to watch. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel that way a lot about a lot of Coen Brothers movies that sure. they're just really hard to watch because the subject matter and the characterizations are so almost depressing and very midlife crises. You know, you you sure. get you feel for them so much. And for someone like me who gets so, I, I guess, I, I just tune in to people's emotions really easily. I get I get too wrapped up in these movies, man. Got <laughs> to tone back the empathy. It, I know, now, right? Roxy, you said that it made you feel empty inside, and I haven't had a chance to see this movie yet, so I can't speak to the plot. But just knowing the Coen Brothers, do you feel like maybe the Coen Brothers' intention was for you to feel that way because of the way the story was told? I think so, definitely, because they wanted you to go inside of his head, and inside of his head, there's a lot of sadness and draining quality. He had a very draining quality about himself that he used people around him. It was yeah. a very narcissistic okay. kind of, mm-hmm. you know, manipulative type of person. So you yeah. just didn't, didn't dig their intention. Like, you didn't... Yeah. You're, you're, you don't like movies that do that to you. Yeah. Right, because it's very manipulative. You know, here yeah, I am. Well, that's, you could say the same thing about a lot of movies. I mean, yeah. Requiem for a Dream is one of them where oh, yeah. it's, it's obvious the intention yeah. totally. was for that movie to just ruin your soul. <laughs> I would say that's exactly what it's like. I feel like that's that's kind of the point, right? That's mm-hmm. what the goal is. It's not so much to, yes, you tell a story, but you want to make the audience feel a certain way. Whether it's yeah. good or not is mm-hmm. up to the prerogative of the pr- director. Just, well, it's, it's yeah. about, yeah, it is about creating a feeling. And one thing that I liked about Inside Lewin Davis that I think is extremely reflective across most Coen Brothers movies is that a really overarching theme of their entire career span is fate and circumstance totally yeah totally and a lot of these characters are in situations where just things happen to them mm-hmm. and only sometimes is it really they're doing mm-hmm. so it's not it's not like greek tragedy because because right. it's not like these things are happening because of their hubris but this is like this is a lot of stuff that's just happening to people yeah. Which is a dose of reality added into the absurdity of mm-hmm. their scripts. You know, it's it's the balance of they have the absurd parts and the parts that come out of left field. And you're like, that would never really happen. But at the same time, you have things like Donnie in The Big Lebowski, where he's a guy who's already kind of a character that gets, that gets fucked over all the time and gets put down. Mm-hmm. And then out of nowhere... He dies, yeah. and you're like, "That's that could happen." It's that dose of reality mixed in with absurdity that makes the Coen Brothers movies so effective. Yeah. Oh man, poor Steve Buscemi. That's all I gotta yeah. say Shut about him. Shut the fuck up, Don. yeah, Donnie. Was a, Donnie was a good man and a good bowler. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, and he, even in the end, when they tried to you know spread his ashes. Yeah, that's my favorite scene. That's my favorite scene. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. He doesn't even... gets caught in his beard. <laughs> just standing there, just standing there letting the... I, oh just, god. I just feel oh. so bad because even in death, Donnie doesn't get a fucking break. I know. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Donnie, man. Oh my god. Um, shut the fuck up, Donnie. So Donnie, um, okay. shut the fuck up. <laughs> and now we're going to take a quick break for a brief message brought to you by Brian Moriarty. <laughs> Well, not brought to you by me. Well, you're going to say it. (laughs) Spit it. This message is actually brought to you by Protospiel. So, guys, 
we're all nerds here. We like playing board games every so often, right? We love Cards Against Humanity. You know, mm-hmm. Eric and yes. I will dive, dive a little bit deeper, and we'll go into you know a game like Pandemic or I played that or like Settlers of Catan or Agricola or things like that. Uh, I love Carcassonne as well. So coming this weekend, if you live in the San Francisco Bay Area, you can take part in Protospiel. It is taking place May 9th through the 11th, and it'll be at the Game Castle in Santa Clara, California. So the hours are May 9th, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. May 10th and 11th will be 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. at the Game Castle on Coleman Avenue in Santa Clara, California. It's a great opportunity for you to go to play board games and also demo your games. There will be special guests such as publishers from Cosmic Wombat Games, Slugfest Games, and uh, Tasty Minstrel (laughs) Games. Interesting (laughs) names for these companies. Uh, But also the designers of such games as Pandemic, uh, Access and Allies Pacific, uh, the two iterations of Risk, Risk Legacy and Risk 2210 AD, and lots, lots more. For more information, you can go to BoardGameBuilders.com. That sounds awesome! And we're back. <laughs> so you guys. Now that the ad is over, I wanted to talk about Caligula's Boner Quest. <laughs> <laughs> it's a card game slash key party game mm-hmm. where oh my God. is it a creepy I'm sex done. game? <laughs> That's all we can really go. Key party it. in a fishbowl. Um, so now that we've laughed into oblivion about Lebowski, Lebowski, the dude, let's talk about. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. I think this is probably one of the most unique of their movies. Um, it is a direct... If you guys haven't seen it, then where have you been? Straight up. Um, but it is a direct adaptation of The Odyssey, which is so freaking fun. They've mm-hmm. got a Cyclops. They've got sirens. They've got all <laughs> the this stuff. The siren scene is my favorite. They're t- Go to sleep, little baby. It's just <laughs> so great. And yeah. again... It's crafted so well, and the fact that it is kind of surreal mm-hmm. yeah, throughout definitely. the whole thing, and again, great soundtrack. Yes, if you if you like the soundtrack to Inside Lewin Davis, that is like the grandson to the music in Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Yeah, and and it's just it's beautiful, and it's I think actually this is probably the movie that if you've never seen a Coen Brothers movie or if you don't really know how to approach it, I think this is probably one of the more approachable ones. Mm-hmm. Um, Family friendly. It is family friendly, and it's just damn cute and really good performances. <laughs> George really Clooney, perfect performances. His career took off after this movie. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, John Goodman. This oh. is another great John Goodman performance, Such and he's been one. in like damn near every Coen Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, all the leads in that movie do great. John Turturro is kind of yeah. the unsung hero. I think of a lot of. Well, he was the, the lead in Barton Fink, and he was great in that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and he does. He's one of those. Cohen Brothers staples, and mm-hmm. I, I love that. Do not seek the treasure scene when they're we in the movie. We thought you was a toad. <laughs> <laughs> Do not seek the treasure. Yeah. And also, it got the world turned on to Tim Blake Nelson. Mm. You know, no one really known who he was at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, he done Very some underrated actor. exactly. And <laughs> I love that they. Do kind of imply that this is a uh, an ad- adaptation of the Odyssey because you've got like the governor's name is Menelaus. You know they they work that <laughs> yeah. into it. You know uh, Penny is the wife for Penelope, the queen. Uh, they don't. They, do they, what's his name? It's Ulysses something. Uh, what's the character's name for Clooney? Because it's not. It's Everett McGill. Well, yeah, I think it's Everett Ulysses McGill. Yeah, that's is. what it is. And Ulysses is the the reference to. I mean, that's the Roman version of Odysseus, which is the main character in the Odyssey. Ulysses Everett McGill, yeah. 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 So, so I just love those. Ulysses Odysseus. Everett McGill, sorry. Yeah. So it's, uh, I love those subtle little implications. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, yeah, no, this is a modern, adapt- or a, a period adaptation right. of that classic story. I love that John Turturro's name is Pete Hogwallop, as if anybody's <laughs> ever been named Hogwallop. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, and oh my God, the scene with the KKK. And it's just, it's, oh, it's just great. It is a really, really good movie. And then I think the other one that's also really approachable for people um, is their remake of True Grit. Mm-hmm. 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 And Haley Steinfeld was in that, and she was nominated for an Oscar at like you know she's under she's what fifteen something like that. Yeah, yeah when it was made. Yeah, great yeah. premiere for her. And again, great performances. I thought it was a really good adaptation. I love the John Wayne version. Yeah. Um, and so I was really pleased when there was like that moment for moment remake of the scene where he's like just firing two guns right in the back of a horse with the reins in his teeth, which so is perfect. Sick. Like that is 
that is fucking Rooster Cogburn That's right a there. Western. Yeah, that exactly. And I thought that Jeff Bridges' performance was spot on. Yeah. I think it, I yeah. don't think it was the same as John Wayne. It was just it was different, but it was great. It was a little bit more gritty. Yeah. Um, kind of took a little bit of the cheesy western aspect out of it. No pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. And it was yes. also the, I think the highlight of the second coming of Jeff Bridges' career. Oh yeah. god, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. definitely. I, what I appreciated about the movie, yes, absolutely, and I think he had that momentum mm-hmm. from just winning the Oscar for Crazy Heart going into this. Uh, and he knocks it out of the park. But I, I love this movie because it's both a Western and it's also their take on a film noir. Yeah. Mm. If you look at the way they choose, chose to compose the shots. It's interesting you mentioned that. Yeah. And the way they decided to... I feel like the story is crafted much more in this version with... Uh, God, I need to know the main character's names of this. Because I don't have Rooster it. Cogburn? Well, but the girl's name, too. Maddie Ross. Thank you. I feel like Maddie Ross is the, the detective in this. Okay. And I feel like we're following her journey to find her father's killer. Very much like we were in um, in the original with with John... Uh, with fucking nay, Sorry. With John Wayne. But I felt like it was more like it was her kind of doing the discovering. And he just kind of joins mm-hmm. the journey at some point. Mm. Yeah, she's the driving force. And she is the in-between between Jeff Bridges, who doesn't really give a shit as Rooster Cobburn. And he's there to just get his money. And then you've got Matt Damon as LaBeouf, who's like over the top trying to be as much of a cowboy investigator about it Ticks, as, a, as being a marshal. And she's right. the one who's trying to guide the investigation in between both of them because she just cares about finding out who killed her dad. Exactly. Right. And I thought that Matt Damon's performance was really good, too. He yeah. played yeah. it very earnestly. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Very much so. With just, like, just enough confidence and attitude, but you could still kind of see something, like, a little shaky behind the eyes. I don't yeah. know. I thought it was really good. It I thought it was. I thought it was great. I, you, you guys think about Matt Damon. I liked young Matt Damon, 90s Matt Damon, like, um, and talented Mr. Ripley Matt Damon. But I liked him then, too. Yeah. I didn't like uh, J- Jason Bourne Matt Damon. I I feel what? like... What? I, you know, I just didn't like me. the Bourne movies, but... It was okay. I thought it was a good American version yeah. of James Bond. I mean, yes. kind of give or take. Too many jump cuts for me. Sorry. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I just don't care for Paul Greengrass's um, filmmaking style, and that yeah. mm-hmm. played so heavily into the two latter Bourne movies that I just I couldn't really watch them without right. being confused or nauseated. Um, <laughs> exactly. And it's not against him being a storyteller, just the shots were literally making me sick because of how much yeah. shaking there was going Too on. Too many edits. Exactly. Anyway, sorry, back to Dr. True Grit. Yeah. Um, that being said, I love Captain Phillips, so... Eh, not my taste. Yes, b- back to True Grit. Um, I, I was just saying that that's, a, that's another great one. If Again, if you've never really seen a Coen Brothers movie and yeah. you want to get into it and you want something that's a little bit more approachable, then mm-hmm. do it. If you totally. want something that's just going to be flat out damn funny, Burn After Reading or Big yeah. Lebowski is the way to go. And go my favorite one, Fargo. Fargo. Oh, Fargo. Yeah. Don't you know? Don't you know? Oh, you betcha. Oh, yeah. Are you okay, Margie? <laughs> yeah, just think I'm gonna barf. <laughs> right. And they're like, when they're like, quote. are you you raise your grades or you don't get to play hockey? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> you watch your language. <laughs> exactly. Just uh, doing my job. <laughs> I, I do want to add to the True Grit thing too. I think it's also a great movie to enter into if you're not a big Western person. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah it's oh, a that's good a good way to like Western. It'll yeah. get you back into it for sure. Exactly. But with You're darn tootin'. <laughs> You're darn tootin'. <laughs> the last guy I would have thought to cast in the Fargo TV series oh was Martin Freeman. Oh, he, yeah. But he... Is he good? I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet either, but just the clips I've seen, it's just like, yet. he's totally believable. Oh, my gosh. That's great. Wisconsin mm-hmm. car I was just so. excited to see... Uh, Colin Hanks with the mm. with the role on TV again, like because he's done like a little bit of TV work His here and there. His first ever show was Roswell. I love I, I love, love Colin Roswell. Hanks. I have I've ha- still have such a girly crush on him. Oh my god, oh. Brian, you said Wisconsin. Minnesota. I think it's sorry. Minnesota. Yeah, sorry. Um, How dare you, Brian? Minnesota, which is South Canada. If anybody's yeah, wondering, yeah, I'll, uh, yeah. I'll, 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 you know, you're right. Sorry, Minnesota. Yeah, that's what that he meant. Um, but in Fargo the movie, you mm-hmm. have uh, William H Macy. In his best role ever. It's just, it's really, really good. Uh, Steve Buscemi, mm-hmm. who is so annoying <laughs> in all the best ways possible. Like, he's just... He worked that snaggle tooth. He is obnoxious <laughs> in this And movie. I think that was perfect, because you make him so obnoxious, 
to the point where you as the audience get to a breaking point the same time as partner does mm-hmm. and yep. you're completely okay with the way it ends. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. And in a way, this is another example of them doing a version of a murder mystery, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. Like, oh, well, let's put the Coen Brothers spin on it. And it totally works, definitely. Mm-hmm. And then this is the Oscar that Francis McDormand won. Yes. Fair Square. Because oh, and she was absolutely incredible. In she it. really, really was. I, like, I love, actually, the scenes between her and William H. Macy in mm-hmm. the car dealership. Mm-hmm. When and he just were, takes off. <laughs> and there were only two, right? There was the mm-hmm. first one, and she's, like, a she's a pregnant cop. And she's, yeah. like, on this case that turns out to be so much more than what she thought it was, right? It just no. keeps blowing more and more out of proportion. Talk about and she's just twists. And she's just keeping her cool the entire mm-hmm. time. And she's so proper. And she's so proper and she's so nice and she's fucking pregnant, like super pregnant, like two more months and this baby's going to pop. I'm surprised (laughs) that she's still on the field. Oh my God. But she's like going through and conducting these interviews and like then when William H. Macy starts to crack under the pressure because of the second time that she's come back and she's like, well, this card that's been you know missing or whatever it came from your lot Mm -hmm. the one that's tied to this kidnapping case is tied to your lot so what's going on and he just starts cracking he starts cracking and then she's just like sir i'm just asking you some typical questions and he's just like (laughs) loses his shit and fucking bolts (laughs) oh my god i think i just think it's really well done and she's like wait 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 what and she has to like Damn it, she has to like call it in. <laughs> I love how they captured the idea of the Minnesota niceness. Yeah. That is such a classic portrayal of that type of personality. And that's just what's so infamous about this film is that they just brought that together so well. Mm-hmm. Casted the perfect actors yeah to pull that off yeah yeah and that the minnesota niceness juxtaposed with the fact that they're they're planning and investigating this horrendous kidnapping Mm -hmm. slash murder yeah is so clever yeah that's been completely set up by the husband the wife was the best she was just like what is happening oh my god the scene and this is not spoiling anything because it is kind of like the fundamental exactly beginning of the plot so it's in the beginning of the movie but yeah yeah, where she's just sitting on the couch and she's knitting and watching daytime TV and then she just like watches the, watches them come up to the window and she just stops and stares. And then they're like kind of like peeking in the window and she's just nothing happens until oh. he finally breaks through the window and then she gets up and starts screaming. <laughs> but then like she's, oh, the mailman's wearing a mask today. Oh my god. She's like, I don't know what's happening. Should I do something? Should I do something? Oh, okay, this is bad. <laughs> Oh my god, and Peter Stomare as uh, the Swedish like henchman. Oh, holy shit, he was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That actor has done some incredible work as a villain. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's the quintessential Hollywood villain actor, right? And just how they featured him in this film to juxtapose against uh, Steve Buscemi's character. Yeah, who's so like just done. He's just bumbling wood chipper anyone like yeah really? yeah oh and that last scene <laughs> that last scene where she's yeah. just like where they just lock eyes and you're oh, like shit. oh shit oh my god oh my god oh my god it was really good it was really good yeah that's why i love fargo so well and fargo much. was let's be honest fargo is really what put the coen brothers on the map absolutely yeah so that oh, was yeah. that's like the one before that i mean they had some blood simple was an independent hit for the independent crowd yeah and then raising arizona got them noticed because on a different level but fargo's the one where they're like oh let's just give the coen brothers tons of money and let them do whatever the hell they want yeah <laughs> because because you realize that because that sets the tone for what really goes into a coen brothers movie and the fact yeah. that it can be really dark but really funny at the same time so then can we kind of agree to say that fargo is perhaps the best coen brothers movie mm. it's the most well-rounded i would say most well-rounded possibly most it's too it, we have critically. to go sarah ashley here we have to pick three oh. they're <laughs> equally enough. the best yeah i want to include fargo on that list though lebowski Purely. has to be one of those okay yeah okay. I, well I, because i think fargo was a, i think fargo was amazing but i think that they have developed more since then sure to, absolutely to kind of so what do we consider like the perfect Coen Brothers movie? It's the one that encapsulates all the dark, all the funny, mm. and all the wit and mm-hmm. the theme, and all of that stuff all together. Mm. So maybe a brother. I'm gonna say Raising Arizona in that respect. Really? 
Hmm. Yeah, all three of those things being combined so perfectly, being hilarious, being dark, especially with all the vignettes of the dream sequence with the the motorcycle riding bounty hunter <laughs> and with with High's struggle with himself trying to not be a criminal and with his wife not being able to have a kid. There's dark moments. It's really funny and the story is solid. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I can agree with that. I just feel like as far as the most like successes that the Coen brothers have received and the most kind of critical acclaim goes, it would have to be like, oh brother, where art thou? Purely because of the star factor, um, maybe burn after reading well, because of the no comedy. Country for burn after reading has got to be their most like hilarious one. Yeah, oh, yeah, I think so. I think that was more outward, most mm-hmm. outwardly funny. I agree with you though. No Country for Old Men. Probably I think the most critically acclaimed. I think that is the most critically acclaimed. And the interesting thing about that one that I think was different than say Fargo mm-hmm. is that the dark was a lot more apparent. Okay. Yeah, definitely. But the humor was still there, and I think the humor was much more subtle. Yeah. And there were certain aspects of the humor oh, that, yeah. that you were just like, oh, God, am I a terrible person for laughing at this situation right <laughs> yeah. now? Yeah. But I think very distinctly, it comes from the fact that one was made pre-9-11, one was made post-9-11, and I think mm. No Country for Old Men was making a very different point. Sure. You know what? That's the most brilliant thing about the Coen brothers is they make such good political and social statements in their films. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, without soapboxing about it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, in a way, yeah. Burn After Reading has that aspect of it too even before mm-hmm. it was even an issue with us being spied on there's that little before bit of, yeah before yeah. nsa became like a daily topic very yeah. exactly <laughs> well maybe it's gonna have to be undecided what the top three are maybe it's gonna be something that our listeners have to figure out it's oh, a personal yeah. preference thing definitely yeah, yeah definitely i think though that's, that's the thing the coen brothers have a way of of connecting to every viewer in a personal way that is mm-hmm. unique to each person's perspective on their lives, their perspective of others, um, just purely based on the fact that the Coen brothers know how to get under your skin yeah. and they know how to access that intellectual part of yourself that you don't really feel in typical movies. You know, that's where you can consider mm-hmm. the difference between a film and a movie. Yeah. We call Coen brothers movies or their, their artwork films. Yeah. Purely based on the fact that they are always intellectually stimulating, they have smart humor, they have incredibly topical themes, okay, that always make us question and and work into our own lives how this movie is affecting us. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think, uh, and kind of going back to my point in the beginning, I think it's extremely, and I'm going to say this, but I mean it in a different sense, it's very sensual and mm-hmm. not in the sense of like... No, it Sexy. attracts the senses, though. Yeah, but it is it is about stimulating the senses. It's everything that you can get from a movie, like, auditory and visual-wise. Mm-hmm. Like, it is amazing. <laughs> it's just great. Like, even if it is something where I think it's going to probably be less of an action-based movie and more of uh, a dialogue-heavy movie, I'm still going to want to go see it in the theater because that's the best place to really get all the auditory aspects of it because I mean these guys are editors. Yeah. They work for other people as editors. Right. They work as a team. I think that's another really cool We're aspect. Fully rounded They've filmmakers. got the same they work with the same editors, the same producers, the same every they've got a team. Mm-hmm. And they do such a great job within that. And I think that they just know the craft so damn well and are always open to developing it further. So we love them. Yep. <laughs> Indeed. So why don't we talk about how people can get this content? Well, Brian, I think that if they go onto our website and they click any Amazon banner <laughs> and yep. they want to uh, to hop onto Amazon to buy any DVDs, yeah. they absolutely should. What do you um, think, Sean? <laughs> there's a couple of them on Netflix. I know one that is uh, lesser known, but I really enjoyed was Intolerable Cruelty, oh, yeah, yeah. which George is and on uh, Netflix, which reminds yeah. me that I remember seeing Intolerable Cruelty and afterwards, the tension in the story uh, was similar to some tension I was having with uh, a lady friend. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how do we relieve this tension? And I've always been an advocate of fisting as a relief of tension. <laughs> and I was oh, thinking Lord. of a way to make the fisting more enjoyable. So what we did is I have her with a tiny little fist inside me, as usual, and in an upward <laughs> thrusting motion. And I was like, how do I make this better? Oh, okay. So I had her grab a handful of Pop Rocks. Oh, and at the moment of climax, I had her release the Pop Rocks. And I got to tell you, it is one of the most exhilarating feelings oh, in the world. <laughs> Owen Brothers style, I tied it into the Pop Rocks. Also the fastest way to go to the emergency room. Yes. So, 
Um, no, 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 no. I was well. I think I was fine. There was some yeah. bleeding, but that's, I thought that was blacked out for a while. From, from what I found, yeah, you can use Netflix if you're a subscriber. You've definitely got Fargo, <laughs> Raising Arizona. Uh, well, so the only thing that's on streaming that I saw when I was recently looking at it was Fargo and Barton Fink. And Barton Barton Fink as well. Yes. Yeah. However, the majority of the Coen Brothers movies are available on Amazon Instant Video. Mm-hmm. The ones we haven't talked about that are fantastic, The Hudsucker Proxy. Uh, you mentioned, oh, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned Intolerable Cruelty. Cruelty, Robbins. thank you. Miller's Sean, Crossing. Miller's Crossing, The Man Who Wasn't There. A Simple mm-hmm. Man. A Simple Man is on there as well. Ooh, simple Man was dark. Uh, it was dark, but I liked it. Raising yeah. Arizona, as we said it. before. <laughs> there is tons of great stuff from the Coen Brothers that you can use. And if we, we'll post a couple links when we post the episode. So click on that and you can also help us out by, you know, giving us a small commission as well. Awesome. Do we have any feedback this week? Yeah, let's cue the feedback, Sean. Listener feedback. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't get any emails, so... (laughs) (laughs) But we did get some Twitter mentions. Okay. Yeah, I planted a seed earlier, and I asked my Twitter followers what they thought their favorite Coen Brothers movie quotes were. Uh, Oh, okay. Yeah, so from uh, Evil Laz, it says, You see what happens, Larry? Do you see what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps? (laughs) And that sounds weird to some people, but we had mentioned in an earlier podcast (laughs) that when you watch The Big Lebowski on cable in the middle of the day... They have different lines that they that they read in ADR to cover them up, <laughs> and instead of "fuck a stranger in the ass," he says "find a stranger in the Alps," yeah. which, which makes funnier. you think of "holy shit, what does that mean?" <laughs> or, or what the what do you do when you, when you find a stranger in the Alps? Do you eat them? Do you crawl inside them for warmth? Like, to be honest, though, I think it actually works better for the character Probably. just to show how fucking nuts he is. Yeah, no, definitely, I think. <laughs> and then uh, my buddy Jason Fisher said. Uh, you know, for kids. Oh, right. Of course. <laughs> you know, the yeah. right. And then uh, his other one, he had two. He said, I didn't think this was a one-horse town, but try flying a decent hair jelly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Dapper Dan man. Nice. And I got a um, tweet from our a loyal listener, Rachel Wunsch, at Rach Wunsch, and it was in regards to our last week's episode about child actors. She says, the Olsen twins were the bomb.com back in the 90s. I saw all their movies. Double Double and Passport to Paris were the best. Thanks, Rachel. I do remember Passport <laughs> to Paris. I remember watching that one because I was in junior high taking nice. a intro to foreign languages class. And you watched And they watched Pass. <laughs> I was like, why are we watching this? They don't actually speak French in it. This is not worth it, but it is. But okay. <laughs> God, I love those Olsen twins. I mean, I think it was just that the teacher needed a movie day, but whatever. Right. <laughs> he actually speaking, watched class. Speaking of Rachel Wunsch, I remember I had posted something on Twitter about, say, something that my mother would hate me saying, you know, something that would make her ashamed of me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, a while ago, and I had forgot to mention it on the last podcast, so I wanted to read it now. Are we cool with that? Go sure. for it. Please. Awesome. So Rachel said... Mama came in like a wrecking ball. She's the original tabloid girl. Miley is so scandalous because she learned from the original. Uh-huh. Oh. I know. So I was like, yeah, that's going to make my mom hate me because you are having me insult her and compare her to the shit show that is Miley Cyrus. Mama came in like a wrecking Your ball. Your mother then, is an uh, angel. I, I don't know. I, if you see what happened to me here, I don't... She's mm. technically Rosemary's baby then, or you are then, Rosemary's uh, baby. Tom... Wabu on Twitter. Oh God! Said I'm looking forward to Easter as I have been. <laughs> I've, I'm looking forward to Easter as I haven't been eating enough eggs since your grandma went through the change. Oh my what? Wow! So oh, God. making my grandmother no. hate me as well as my own mother. Well, Thanks, you know what, Tom? Dude, Tom called good, John, me out. Both our grandmothers are dead. Oh fuck! So I know, which it? makes it that much dude, more hilarious. Dude, is right? it just me or does Tom call us out a lot on Twitter? Like he calls our shit out a lot. Or he's just like I don't know. He makes fun of me. I hate you, Tom. <laughs> I like you, Tom. Tom, so, stop fucking with us. I'm so I'm rarely kidding. on Twitter. It's like nothing happens nah, to dude. me on there. <laughs> he's at TJWW Whitby, and yeah, no, he's he's a great. He's funny, but he's just like, oh my god, he always calls me out. <laughs> oh man. Anyway. Yeah, and, and we love that conversation. So, yeah, you know, no, we love it, though. I love it. Just to wrap this up, at the beginning of the episode, we were talking about Coen Brothers movies we liked, and Sarah said, uh, A Simple Man. The movie's actually A Serious Man. Oh, A Serious oh. Man. Oh, God. Why yeah, did I... the Jewish character study. I think I fucked that film. up like three times. That's right. My bad. Oh, but it's okay. You were thinking of A Simple Plan, which was a great Sam Raimi movie <laughs> with... Uh, <laughs> 
Billy Bob remember. Thornton with Billy Bob Thornton and Bill Paxton. And Bill Paxton. Yeah. Maybe. Okay, thank you for the correction. Okay. You blended them in your head, maybe. Bridget maybe. Fonda as well. Yeah, well, and like I said, we love this conversation. So by all means, please give us a mention at Erdonomy, but also hit us up on our personal Twitter accounts. I'm at Brian Moriarty. I'm at Sarah Ash 16. I'm at Roxy Noberry. And I am at Big Sean Moe. There has been no movement on, on the Long Dong, Dong Silver front. <laughs> that breaks it my heart. It is a stalemate. <laughs> Absolutely Sean, breaks you, my heart. You do the uh, donation thing really well. Do you want to you want to close it with that? All right, and if you love us a lot and you think that it would be a good idea for us to have more content or perhaps enhance the content that you've already been listening to, you can go to the donate button on our website, nerdonomy.com, and give us a little bit of money. The minimum you can give us is a dollar, and we'll take anything. I mean, I know Brian has that sex change operation that he's been wanting to do. Uh, Roxy is is quite a tall lady. She would like to be shorter to be appealing to more dudes. I gotta get the man's. Sarah. Sarah needs... <laughs> what do I need, Sean? Um, I, never mind. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Sean, let's just admit it. I need back sh- surgery. I've been holding yeah. this I was going to say, Sarah needs, Sarah needs a breast reduction so that her back does not break. <laughs> her precogs are taking over her body. <laughs> and Eric Brickmont always needs five more fedoras a week. And he's got three kids to feed, so... If you've been hearing about Amelia and you don't want her to starve to death, then maybe you should send in a few dollars. Oh, my God. Bravo, Queen. Jesus. But seriously, though, the peacocks are consuming Sarah. So give us us a hand, please. Eric's babies are consuming Sarah. Help me. There's a movie. That's the title, too. That's the title. It'll be on sci-fi. Eric's babies are consuming Sarah. It'll be playing right after Sharknado 3. Good Lord in heaven. All right. Well, on that note, (laughs) we will see you guys next time. Same nerd time. Same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye. Bye. (laughs) See ya. And roll credits. And now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. You're killing your father, Larry.